Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 211 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week. I am Jason Evans here to help guide you through these terrible coronavirus pandemic times that we are in. I am joined, as always, by my two partners in crime in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Donald, how are things going there in the nation's capital? Uh, They're a little overcast today. Apparently, uh, the coronavirus has decided to start hurricane season early, and South Carolina got a tropical storm, and we are expected to get the remnants of that here in D.C. today. So uh, I was going to go out on the roof and kind of, you know, relax for a little bit. But Bertha, I believe her name is, won't let me. So here I am stuck in the apartment once again. That is a familiar feeling for all of us, I think, stuck in the apartment, stuck indoors. But Sam Klein, Sam has been moving around a little bit. Sam, no longer at Duke. Where yet, Sam? I am at my parents' house. You might hear the wind because I'm recording outside today. Yep. So that's uh, been a, I'd say our internet connection here is questionable. Hear me, can you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, you've, you've faded out a little bit here and there, so we're going to just have to learn right. to live with that. We'll deal with it. All right, know? great. Uh, so we'll 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 see how that goes. Can you hear me now? Yes, you're coming yeah. through loud and clear, Sam. Fantastic. All right. So why don't we just leave? <laughs> why don't we just leave all this grossness in? And as they as they say in the uh, in the recording business, we'll just leave this in and see what happens. Because yeah. uh, let's face it, there's, no, there's nothing real for us to talk about anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so folks, uh, we know it's been a little while since our last last podcast, and we've been sort of casting about, searching for things to talk about. It's not the exactly the high season when it comes to college basketball right now, but we do have some things to discuss on today's show. We're going to be talking about, and, and by the way, when we're done talking about it, I'd love to hear from all of you out there. Remember our email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a note because we're going to be discussing topics that you all can participate in. We're going to be talking about the best Duke team ever. We're going to be talking about picking one Duke player to win one big game. Who would you select? But before we get to that, the little piece of news that we want to talk about is a very interesting study that came out um, just about a week ago about social media value. And this is related to this issue of the players making money off their name, image, and likeness, and specifically players potentially being paid for advertising stuff, for talking about stuff on their social media accounts, which everyone says is sort of the easiest and most direct way that these players can take advantage of their celebrity a little bit. There was a study done by by some group whose name I now forget. Someone can correct me and tell me what it is. But anyway, it looked at specifically the Duke basketball team from last year and said, hey, how much is the the social media account of Cassius Stanley or Trey Jones or anyone else on the team, how much are those accounts worth? You may be surprised to find out the number. Cassius Stanley, who had more than 500,000 followers on Instagram alone, his Instagram account was deemed to be worth $410,000. And this this social media tracking company said that Cassius could could command more than $15,000 Per post, you know, a post with him, I don't know, drinking a, a, a Coca-Cola or something like that, or taking a bite out of a McDonald's, could command $15,000 per post. They said that Trey Jones, with about 385,000 followers, his account was worth, worth more than $300,000. They estimated that the entire Duke roster, all 14 players on the roster, who had a combined Instagram following of 
Here's the number 1.5 million people that the Duke team, their Instagram accounts were worth a com combined $1.2 million in annual advertising revenue. So this whole discussion that's been going on in the NCAA about, oh, should we let these players make some money off their name, image, and likeness? The estimate from this company was that if you'd allowed last year's Duke team to make money off their name, image, and likeness, they would have made $1.2 million off just their Instagram accounts. That is a big number. Donald, what do you think about this study? What do you think about these numbers? The numbers are huge, but they seem they seem low when you factor. I mean, they didn't factor in one big thing, and that that's Duke's following. But not not the individual players, but the team. They have 4.5 million followers across all their social media platforms. If you take second, third, and fourth, which is Kentucky, UNC, and Indiana, and you combine them. They're only 500,000 followers more than Duke is by themselves. That alone means that you have to factor that into the equation too. Now, it's not like they're going to be retweeting Cassius Stanley or whoever uh, next year, their ad for blueberry yogurt. They're not going to retweet stuff like that. But just the mere fact that they are following them, that they're mentioning them in their posts, when they have videos that discuss some of these players and people link to that, they're going to get followers from that too. When these freshmen come into Duke and when Patrick Tapay comes to Duke, when they officially start playing basketball, Duke, uh, Duke Blue Planet is going to be posting a lot of videos and a lot of posts about these guys. And then they're going to have followers that come from that. So that's going to factor into even more opportunity for dollars for these guys. Because you have such a machine in social media backing you, that means that you're going to get a lot more followers. I'll just take a little, you know, nugget anecdotal example. Last week, Duke men's basketball had a following thing where they had a post where they said, if you have, uh, take a picture of your apartment or your room that has all your Duke paraphernalia in it, and it, the best ones will follow you. So I did that in my 300 square foot apartment. I, it's half filled with Duke stuff, the other half soccer stuff, as you guys know. And they followed me. From there, I got about 25, 30 people who do not know me whose only link to me was through the Duke, me, uh, Duke men's basketball account. They started following me just based off that. If it's just me doing that, then just imagine how many people will go off of one post to the players. That is more money that's going to be uh, at potential for them when they do these various ads. My only, my only concern, Donald, is that those people who just followed you as a result of your post about your apartment – might be listening to this podcast for the first time at this episode, and they might think, like, these guys just really don't talk about anything. Folks, normally, we do. We, <laughs> we have so many things to talk about. We just need there to be basketball games or football games or some other event needs to happen. So definitely, if you're new because you're here because of Donald's room, go back and listen to old episodes, like, during <laughs> seasons. They're, they're top-notch. I, I, I think that this study is interesting but it mostly tells us what we already know, right? I mean, we've we've been talking for years about how we know the players are worth something. It kind of doesn't matter what the actual like value of it of of their social media posts or their appearances at events or something is worth. It's that they're worth something and 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 to to some degree they deserve to get that. I think one of the other things that's interesting about this is to think about 
how players these days are so conscious of the way that their brands are managed. And th this actually came up during the last dance. Uh, I think this was interesting because Michael Jordan talks about how all the ads that he did were, you know, he was sponsored by Gatorade and, and Nike, most famously McDonald's, lots of other brands that, that Michael Jordan's been associated with. But he said those only mattered because he because he was good at basketball. And and what I think you're going to see here is the, the players recognizing that, yes, it matters that that they're associated with Duke or what have you. But I guarantee you that Cassius Stanley makes more would make more from his social media posts than someone who's who's farther down the bench, who's lower on the roster. Um, and, and all of this, I think, is I think all of this is going to be great education for these players once this system is 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 sophisticated and set up for them to learn about what their what their value is and how it's related to on-court performance um, and how it's related to the team playing well. Ultimately, I think that this, that, you know, I think that there's some concern that, oh, well, the players are just going to care about their brands and they're not going to care about the game anymore. They're not going to care about their teammates or school. All of those things factor into them being successful parts of this brand. And, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm curious to see if, the NCAA does anything about about this or, or, or on what timeline for allowing players to, to start capitalizing on this, because maybe it makes them work even harder. Maybe maybe players want to win championships, but because there's real endorsement dollars here and it's valuable to be Zion Williamson, even when he's playing at Duke. And I think when it comes to some of these brands that we're talking about here, for me, when you're talking about social media, you're not talking about Coke and Pepsi and Best Buy and Target. You're not talking about these big box brands. You're they're going to target audiences that follow people like this on social media and may have a niche group that also follows them not because of basketball. For example, all these guys talk about how much how many video games they play. The video game market is a huge market and a lot of their advertising is not on TV, it's on social media. So if you see, you know, DJ Seward next year, rocking a head uh, you know a headset like you know we're wearing headsets to record this podcast they may be wearing headsets to play you know nba 2k on you know xbox or ps4 but they may have a specific brand that is a small thing that could give them a lot of money because those people are the that's the market that they're looking for that's the market that they're reaching and i think when you see that and also really uh, on the other end for us as fans there's going to be more of a incentive to follow these players individually i don't follow all the players individually a lot of times i follow them through the duke men's basketball account and you know some ones that have great content that i end up following individually or just after they leave to go to the pros but i feel like as this progresses you're going to see more people following more players instead of the teams because they're going to try and put more money into those players pockets so the last thing I'll add is I really feel, you know, I want to bring this back to, to Duke. I really feel like this is a major, uh, the, the fact that, that the name, image, and likeness and making money off your social media accounts is coming for these players is a major boost for Duke in terms of recruiting and in terms of the kind of players we're able to get and perhaps keep uh, in the program because Duke's social media profile, Donald, you already said it, we are... Our, our, the, the Duke men's basketball following on Instagram is equal to the next three programs combined. I mean, everyone talks that's about all oh, that's all social media. That's Facebook, yeah. Twitter, and Instagram. They lap the field three times over. 
Yeah. I mean, we are far and away the biggest. And uh, and I think we've absolutely seen it translate to the followings of the players who commit to Duke. I'll give you a great example. And I just want to talk for a moment about Zion Williamson. Now, look, everyone knows Zion was a big deal on Instagram and Twitter and the such before he came to Duke. But just get, get ready for these numbers. When Zion committed to Duke in January of 2018, remember we did an emergency podcast. He committed to Duke. He had 1.1 million followers on Instagram. That's a huge number. 1.1 million dollars, 1.1 million followers. That is a ton. A year later, middle of his of his freshman season at Duke, January of 2019, he's at two and a half million. Today, he's at five million. Now you can say some of that is, you know, he, he, he had a great, you know, start to his anyway. career. His exposure at Duke is what took that from 1.1 million to 5 million. I mean, sure. Maybe there's some of that that came in there because he joined the Pelicans and because of some of the stuff he did early in his pro career, but his pro career is so young at this point. There is no question in my mind that you can probably attribute a good three plus million of Zion's Instagram following to Duke. And, and to his exposure he got as a part of the Duke Blue Devils. And that's worth, look, based on the formula these guys have, Zion's Instagram account, uh, only his Instagram account is worth almost $5 million a year right now. A rising tide lifts all ships, but it's yeah. not, it wasn't just one way, right? Because we gave Zion followers and Zion gave Duke followers. There's, you know, yep. Duke's, you know, thing doubled as well. But also, that means that all, everyone's going to benefit from each other. If you follow a player to college, you're going to join that college's social media. If you like the college, you find that you know a player that you really like, you're going to follow their social media. So it's going to be both. And as they both go up, that means the potential for everyone to make more money continues. My bottom line is this is really good for Duke. Duke is the dominant player in the social media world. And we're about to enter a world where players can profit off of that social media following. No school better prepared to take advantage of that than Duke University. Sam, finish us off on this topic. I think that it is interesting that Duke is ahead of other schools on this. And if the, you know, if the light was switched on today, Duke would be pole position for being ahead of other programs. I think now that there's more discussion about it, other programs, you can see Kentucky, UNC trying to, you know, schools like that trying to up their general social media presence in the way that that Duke Blue Planet and the Duke men's basketball brand sort of has the last few years. What's interesting to me is how, if this happens, how differently the professional teams and the NBA respond. Because you could see, yeah, maybe a guy goes to Duke over Kentucky because Duke has more social media presence. But I think Kentucky has the ability to catch up in, in a lot of ways. What I don't know is can the Pelicans match you know the, part of the reason that that guys only come for one year is it's one year and then where you get drafted you get millions of dollars from that if you can get millions of dollars from staying at duke do you need to go start your professional career so will you know frank jackson's of the future leave duke to be a late first round or second round pick just because of the nba being there i don't know and and that that might actually change the equation and keep more players in college basketball if they're able to make this kind of money Depending on where they get drafted, Cassius Stanley and Trey Jones, the two examples I gave earlier, the two guys that this agency says are worth $300,000, plus $1,000 on their Instagram accounts alone, depending on where they get drafted, we can make a very good argument they would have made more money coming back to Duke versus going to the NBA, at least, you know, initially.
I don't think they would make more money because like that that value is there regardless, right? Like they've they've built up that following from being a Duke anyway. The question is like, is that let's say you're a second round pick, right? And you make half a million dollars in salary next year, or maybe even less if you're bouncing between the the G League and the NBA. If the endorsements that come from you being a Duke basketball player are worth 80% of your total comp next year, as opposed to, you know, the, the 20% maybe that it would be if you're a, if you're a higher pick from a lower, if you're John Morant, for instance, this year, that might say it makes sense for Trey Jones to come back to Duke. It won't make sense for Zion Williamson to come back to Duke, but right. it'll make, and, and it won't make, and it won't make sense for John Morant to stay in college, but it, it might make sense for, for guys, you know, like, like Trey Jones, I think Frank Jackson's a good example of this from a few years ago. I keep mentioning him just because he was like, uh, eh, he should go. Maybe he shouldn't. Trey Duval's probably another one. These guys could have stayed and just capitalized on having Duke on their jersey, and that's just it, uh, and wouldn't have to go you know, spend years toiling in the G League. Okay, so we're going to move on from, from that really interesting topic to some topics that people may find a little more silly. Uh, we're going to be talking about one player to win one game. Guys, I want to know, going back through Duke history, you can go all the way, take Dick Grote if you want. Go all the way back as far as you want. You've got one game you've got to win. You're the Duke Blue Devils, and you got to, who, who is the guy you are putting in uniform who you say, this is the man who is going to win me this game, no matter what? Sam, I go to you first. Who is your one Duke player to win one game? I think there are a few guys you could reasonably pick, right? Let, let, let's agree that there are maybe – fewer than 10 players. I think Shane Battier has to be on this list. I think Christian Leitner has to be on this list. There's a, a good quote that Coach K had once. Someone asked him what position Kyle Singler plays, and Coach K said, Kyle Singler plays winner. I think Kyle Singler would be a great <laughs> pick for that. I'm taking Grant Hill. I think that Grant Hill was, in a Duke uniform, the 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 total package. So you say, I've got to win this one game. I don't know what we need if we have to defend a, a great perimeter, we have to make big shots, if we have to sort of do the little things, I think Grant Hill all around was the the best at doing everything for Duke. So I'm for 33. Donald, who you got? Who's your one player to win one game? Sam had some great ones that he mentioned. You know, all due respect to Grant Hill is one of my favorites of all time. Christian Leitner, one of the greatest players of all time. I'm going with Shane Battier. There should be no surprise to you guys but for me such a homer pick this is such a homer pick it is but you know what it's backed up it's not like i just picked some dude that i really like and there's no reason for it there's a real reason for it he's one of the greatest winners ever in college basketball history he's second with 131 wins and it's not like he played a bunch of cupcakes his entire career he came up big in big moments all the time so he could give you shooting from the perimeter he could he can make steals, and he would just be on a team of best players in the in the world. He somehow figured out a way to be the best player in the world. On teams that people would, would consider to be greater talents than Shabadier, he always ended up finding a way to be that guy that at the end of the game be like, man, this dude killed us. And every single game that you needed something, he was the one to step up. He he always found a way to be the best player on the floor and the most indispensable with all the respect to the other guys, I've, you know, all great picks. And if you had a starting five of, of clutch players, you know, he would obviously be in my starting five. And some of those guys that you mentioned, Sam would also be there. But if I'm picking one, I'm going with my man, Shane, you got to go with people you trust and you got to go with the winners. Shane Batty is the winner. 
You know what I love about about Shane Battier and his general legacy is that LeBron James didn't win a title until he had Shane Battier on his team. And I, I generally speaking, I, I I'm of the generation that I guess just prefers LeBron, right? He's like the he and I are of like not, he's a little older than me, but like I'm the right age to be a real LeBron homer, right? Like I I'm even I'm even a little too young to have seen like the the best version of Kobe. Like I remember the Kobe Lakers with Shaq, but I have much stronger memories of LeBron James coming up with the Cavs and then going to the Heat. So I'm like. I want LeBron to be the best. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of team LeBron, and I love that Shane Battier is tied to that legacy because, because that it just, it just makes the whole Shane Battier is a winner story like so much better for me. So I think it's a great pick. I, I think you're totally justified taking Shane Battier. He's just not the one that I chose. Also, I will mention Shane Battier is one of, I believe, ten players ever to win a high school championship, a national championship, and an NBA championship. He's a winner, no question about it. I, I will tell you that when I was going through this question, there were really like five guys that I considered for it. I absolutely considered Shane Battier. I considered Grant Hill. I considered Zion Williamson. I mean, they, they didn't win at all last year, but if they had, I think Zion would be figuring on these lists a lot more than he does right now. He was pretty remarkable. He kind of broke the game. Can I tangent for a second, just real quick? I I feel like, and it's a very quick tangent. If Zion Williamson and that team had won the national championship, Zion Williamson would be considered one of the best players to ever play college basketball. Done. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Uh, That was the point I was sort of sideways making. The name that I haven't heard mentioned at all that I think is very much in the conversation here, Jay Will. People forget how good Jay Williams was. No, we don't forget. He's the dude is bad. (laughs) He's up here on my wall. That's my man. (laughs) He he was dominant. We're talking one of the very few guys to win player of the year twice. That just doesn't happen in college basketball. He won it twice. But the guy I went with, and and I'm I'm shocked I'm the only one of the three of us who said this name. I went with Christian Leitner. How can you not go with Christian Leitner? If you have to win one game, that game might come down to a final shot. No one in the universe better at the last shot than Christian Leitner, period, end of story. If I've got to win one game and I'm worried about who's going to take the last shot, I know who's taking the last shot. Christian Leitner's taking the last shot, and he's hitting it. So I have no problem at all. All the picks are great. They're all good. But to me, even though I thought about these other guys, I was like, this one's easy, and I'm shocked I'm the only one who said Christian Leitner. You shouldn't be shocked. I was going to be shocked if you didn't pick Christian Leitner, which means that we were – basically set up that we could pick our guys safely and know that Christian Leitner was going to be You're right. Yes. Look, I, I obviously picked a guy from Leitner's era, right? Uh, and and, yes. and we, don't, we don't know how we, – we know that Leitner made Final Fours without Grant Hill. We know that Grant Hill made a Final Four without Christian Leitner. So I think one of the great takeaways of this discussion is that it does require a team, right? That, that 2001 team had both Shane Battier and Jason Williams – and by the way, a few other NBA players as well. Carlos Boozer was on that team. Mike, Mike Dunleavy was on that team. Chris Duhon, up and down the roster, NBA players. So it, it does take more than just the one guy to win the game. But I think we highlighted some of the best ones that we've ever seen in a Duke uniform. So like I said, folks, please write to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you think you would take in this conversation. We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, Sam kind of hinted at it. What was the best Duke team of all time? 2001. He talked about all the pros in that 2001 team. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the best Duke team of all time. (laughs) 
Okay, and we're back. And like we said, our conversation of the absurd topics of the offseason moves to the greatest Duke team ever. And Donald, I'm going to start with you. I bet you're going to pick one of those. You're such a homer, but you were there at Duke <laughs> during some pretty good years. Donald, who do you think, make your case for the absolute best Duke team of all time? I'm going to shock some people. I'm not going with the 2001 team. What? And it, 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 look, look, after conferring with my gut and just looking at the stats and really just breaking down, I'm going with a team that I will admit on this podcast that when this team was actually playing, when they played in a national championship game, I was not rooting for them. And that is a 91-92 team. They are the best Duke team of all time to me. Here's why. They went 34-2. and They were undefeated in the non-conference. They went 17-0 and to start the season. They were regular season and tournament champions in the ACC. They were obviously the national champions. But one back of the back, things that – Back to back. Back to back. Also, they are one of the few teams that held the AP number one ranking the entire season. 18 polls, 18 number ones. One of the only teams ever to do that. They had three guys who had their jerseys retired. Grant Hill – Bobby Hurley, and the aforementioned Christian Leitner. Look, when it comes down to this team, to separate from all of the others, because we've had a lot of good, great Duke teams, to separate them from the pack, the fact that I think outweighs all of that is that they did everything that I just mentioned, they did more as a defending national champion. It is incredibly difficult to repeat as national champions. They are the first team to have done that, and I want to say it was like 20 years up to that point, no team matched that until Florida did in the late 2000s. This is something that I feel like people don't really get how difficult it is to do in this day and age. Because every year we have a different national champion. Every year we have a team. They may get, you know, the defending champion may get to a certain point, but they've always fall off. There's a challenge there for motivating those types of teams, right? Right. It, it's, it is one thing to win that first. The 91 championship, man, they were hungry. Motivating them for 92 is a totally different game. It's a totally different beast because Christian Leitner, Christian Leitner was the motivator on that team. He was the badass who would not let his teammates lose. That's why I right. picked him best player. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You, when you think about it, and you know, obviously we could talk all day about the 92 team, but really what it boils down to is Duke always gets everyone's number one shot. Everybody. Every single year. It doesn't matter if we went, you know, if we fell out in the first round or we were you know, six seed in the tournament, we always get everybody's first shot because Duke is written across our chest. Add to the fact that we are a national champion, and these guys slayed all con- all contenders. They played some of the best teams in the country that year, and they beat just about every every one of them. They only lost twice, and that was in the ACC, which you know only one team has gone undefeated in the ACC as a Duke team, and I believe Jason's going to talk about them in a minute. But the ninety one ninety two team taking that that force that is being having the target on your back on your front on your head on your feet and on the basketball of being the defending national champion and going out and repeating that is why they squeak by my favorite team the 01 team as the best team in duke history all right so you alluded to it i think you just gave away to everybody who my pick is so i'm (laughs) gonna go next I am surprisingly taking a team that did not win a national title. And I know that that seems crazy for you to say that the greatest Duke team of all team is a team that did not conclude its season with a victory. 
But the 1998-99 Duke Blue Devils did something no other Duke team has ever done before. They went undefeated in the ACC and in the ACC tournament, 19-0. And I think the greatest team of all time is a team that was dominant. And by dominant, I mean this. Duke's margin of victory, that 1999 team, in the ACC regular season, their margin of victory was 25.2 points per game. Let's be clear about that. They won their ACC games by an average of more than 25 points per game. So then they go to the ACC tournament. Again, they won their games by an average of 25 points per game. They concluded the ACC tournament by beating UNC 96 to 73. This was a team, the 1999 Duke team, stole your heart, pounded on it, and laughed at you. They went 37-2, and two, the most wins by any team in Duke history, the fewest losses by any team in Duke history. 90-92, Donald's team also had two losses, only won 34 games. So the best record of any Duke team ever was the 1999 team, 37-2, winning their games by an average of 25 points per game. Games were over at halftime, people. If you're not old enough to remember it, games were over at the first time out sometimes. This team destroyed everyone. It had incredible outside shooting from Trajan Langdon and others. It had probably the most dominant big man. I don't know. I guess Zion might argue with me, but the most dominant big man that we've seen on both the offensive and defensive end in Elton Brand, and then surrounding them, a bench and a lineup full of players who could do everything. Shane Battier was on that team. Chris Carrawell, Nate James, I could go on and on. It was a remarkable Duke team, and it just it killed everyone it faced. And I think to be the best, you show that by beating the bejesus out of everyone. That's what the 1999 Duke team did. Sam, break the tie, because I, I think there's only two teams you could pick. I think it's 99 or, I, or 92. Who do you got? So I, I actually wanted to take 2001. Because I, I think there's a, a lot of the same argument for dominance for 2001 as there would be for 1999. Obviously, Elton Brand's not on the team. There is an, a different cast of characters that I think added up. Before I get to 2001, though, I did want to give a few shout outs to, to teams that are uh, not traditionally thought of in, in this light. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about 2010. The team in 2010 that won the national championship won the ACC regular season. They won the ACC championship. They won all their games at home. They sort of did, they hit all the marks. They were not overwhelming the way that 1991, or that that 92 was, that 99 was, or that 2001 was. But 2010's team, the the team led by Nolan Smith, Kyle Singler, and John Shire with Brian Zubek and, and Lance Thomas rounding out the top five. By the end of that season, that team was just putting a strangle on any team that that came near them. They would just sort of keep them at arm's length the whole way through the game. And they might only win by five, six, eight, ten points. They might, they're not going to blow teams out. They they didn't do that nearly as often as 99 did, but they kept everybody at arm's length. And I and I believe firmly from watching them that 2010 would find a way to beat almost any of these teams through sheer will. That being said, 2001 to me is the best is the best Duke team. They won the national championship, which which 99 did not. And I think there is something to be said for getting to that last game and actually finishing it. Um, 2001's national championship game was was not even like 
really a, a great contest down to the end. It was sort of a foregone conclusion a few minutes before the end of the game that Duke was going to beat Arizona. It featured a couple national players of the year from different services between Jason Williams and, and Shane Battier. Shane, as we already discussed, was a national defensive player of the year. Mike Dunleavy was the third best player on that team and was drafted third. In, in 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 the draft when he came out wait there wait, are he, he might have been the fourth best player in that team carlos booze might have been that team <laughs> sure sure he might have been the fifth best player on that team if you if you want to tell me that 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 when it's all said and done carlos boozer and chris duhan were better than mike dunleavy fine whatever they all play different positions so it's kind of hard to say i think 2001 starting lineup all being impact nba players uh is is remarkable uh, for for any of these Duke teams, ninety two didn't feature didn't feature five NBA didn't feature five NBA starters right there on the team. Um, ninety nine didn't either. Two thousand one did, and and so I I think for me the two thousand one team is is sort of the greatest that Duke ever showed. The other teams that I I did want to highlight here, um, two thousand four didn't win the national championship. That's Donald's senior year. I like them a lot. I think Lou Deg was really awesome. I remember watching. Why him. you bring up memories, uh, Jason? Man. Jason, if you want to talk about more more teams that didn't win national championships, I think 1986 is great. Oh, I was going to mention 86. Wait, wait, wait. Really quick. 86, I talked about the most wins. 86 went 37-3. and If they close out that victory again, if they close out that victory against Louisville, they go 38-2. and Never done before. No team's ever won 38 games. And the only reason they don't beat Louisville is because they boxed out too well. They forced an air ball. Um, from Jeff Hall that falls into the hands of Purvis Ellison. Otherwise, they win that game because Purvis Ellison wasn't in position to get the rebound if the ball hits the rim. He only gets the rebound because it's an air ball. By the way, one more team in that category that I don't think any of us remember but is is worth highlighting. 1978, the the team that also almost won the national championship. Team, they yep. lost to Kentucky in the national championship game. That's Jim Spinarkle, that's Gene Banks, and that's our friend Kenny Denard. That was a loaded team. So, I mean, none of us can talk seriously about it because jason i don't even know if you do you remember watching 1978 duke very vaguely i mean i can't i can't i certainly can't recount the the play that that you know that was their downfall the way i can with 86 i remember every single thing it was my freshman year every single thing in your head right so 1978 is another great one and and what's interesting about the discussion on can a team be the best team in your program having not won the national championship we should get some Kentucky fans on here and ask them about 2015. I don't know if it's still too raw for them, but their Ooh, 2015 boy. team. I don't care. Go ahead. <laughs> they, lost, they lost one game. They lost to Wisconsin in that final four. That was one, one of the best games of that season in a season that featured a few heavyweights, Duke being one of them and obviously being the eventual national champions. Kentucky, like Duke, long history of national champions, players of the year, the whole thing. That 2015 Kentucky team was amazing. And had pros you want up to and down the NBA lineup. success. The NBA success. Right. That team was loaded. NBA success. Incredible for that 2015 team. I wonder if, and I, I don't know Kentucky's history well enough. I know when some of their national championships are and a lot of their best players, but I don't have the same kind of lens on them as I do on Duke. I don't know what Kentucky fans think about 2015. Was that a top two or three team of all time? They, they've they've had some amazing ones too. So put that one on the list whenever we get a Kentucky person on this show. I don't know when that will ever happen. But think, if we I do, we're at 19, 1996 Kentucky, I think might be their best team. I don't know. I, it, it, it's it's a close call. It's tough. I mean, it's, 96 and 98 one. were, I mean, some of those players are the same uh, on both of those teams. They skipped That's the year. Right. Arizona won, upset them, and then they came back with Tubby. And 
Tubby beat him. So t- Tubby beat everybody. So that up Tubby Smith like ten years as the Kentucky coach. Yeah, a, a job clearly not prepared to do. So exactly, that's how good the the, the mid nineties Kentucky teams were. Hey, that, and that two thousand the two thousand twelve Kentucky team with the brow totally in the middle. Them. <laughs> I don't care. This about is not that. the Kentucky basketball report. <laughs> hey, I do believe no. I do. I'm pretty sure uh, the twenty twelve team that was the one that had Anthony Davis on, or was that the one that Nerlens Noel? No, that was no, one of Andy Davis. Anthony yeah, Davis, we didn't yeah. play them in the Champions Classic, but we, we beat Nerlens yeah, Noel yeah, in the George Dome. I was there for that. Yeah, you were mentioning the 2010 team, and I think you brought up a good point when it comes to that team. That team, to us, that team has a couple of guys that are you know superstars, and Nolan Smith and Kyle Singler. John, John Shire is probably in that like 1A tier, right, for us. But nationally, that 2010 team would have no superstars. Nobody in the in the country was like, oh, I'm really worried about Nolan Smith and John Shire and Lance and Lance Thomas and even Brian Zubit. There's something to be said about an actual team that fits together. The chemistry is 150 on on the on the meter of 100 that can beat you. And I think you know we I talk about the 2003 2004 Detroit Pistons and how. Yes, looking back on that team, people like, oh, man, Chauncey Billups is a superstar. Ben Wallace is a superstar. Richard Hamilton is a superstar. But back then when that team beat the Lakers, the Lakers were full of Hall of Famers. And a team of quote-unquote nobodies beat them. That's what I feel like college basketball reacted to the 2010 uh, Duke team, is that a bunch of nobodies somehow made it all the way to the to the final and then was a Gordon Haywood the other team was Butler. Butler, a school this big, had a superstar in Gordon Hayward. And they had more superstars in their team than nationally speaking than we did. And I feel like something to be said about how a team comes together and is red is bigger than the sum of its parts and becomes that championship caliber team, even though nobody expects them to. That's why I think 2010 is should be more highly regarded than a lot of people make them out to be because that team bred superstars that didn't have them. I think that the the national championship game is a perfect example of what I was talking about, where 2010 was able to keep good opponents at arm's length. Well, gentlemen, we had nothing to talk about in this podcast, but somehow we managed to talk about it for a while. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the debates. I I'm kind of surprised and, and amazed that, We had three different players for one player to win one game. We had three different teams for best team. Folks, it is up to all of you now. Like, subscribe, and send us email. Let us know what you thought about this conversation. Ask us questions. Give us your thoughts on these topics. We'd love to do another mailbag episode. Folks, we're dying up here. We're trying to get content. (laughs) Send us mailbag questions. We'll answer them. We promise. There won't be basketball (laughs) for a long time. We won't see college basketball for a while. I was going to say, at least not college basketball. I think we're going to get the NBA fairly soon, and we will be all over that when it happens. <laughs> we're here to root for the NBA to do whatever schedule engineering it needs to do to get the Pelicans into the playoffs. Real quick, real quick. I know we're wrapping up, but real quick on the NBA, they, they're talking about creating a expanded tournament. And just like the NHL did, the NHL said they're going to do 24 teams. And the Red Wings, my Red Wings, are awful. So they didn't make even a 24 out of 31 team (laughs) bracket, right? If they did a 24 team bracket for the NBA, my Pistons would miss it 
by one game. So I'm just here to let you know. But also that would mean that Zion's in. I'm here to let you know. I am going only, on a limb here. Whatever, NBA is going to do 24 games. I don't know what the standings look like, but the NBA will make sure that whatever the standings look like at the end of the season, the Pelicans have made the playoffs. The I Pelicans don't care. are 10th in the West. So that means that they did a 2014 bracket. The Pelicans would be They're not it. just in, safely in. Well, see, I feel like ideally the NBA wants the Pelicans to play the Lakers in the first round. So they're just going to make the cutoff wherever the, you know, <laughs> oh, 10 teams in each conference make the playoff. Oh, what do you know? The Pelicans are playing the Lakers. That's crazy. <laughs> How did that work out? Yeah. No, it's going to be uh, fun. Uh, and we'll be all over it. We will. All we over will. it. It's going to be a ton of fun, folks. We hope all of you out there are staying safe. Again, like, subscribe, send us email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks for joining us on episode. <laughs> what? I couldn't even hear. You're breaking up, man. What'd you say? The 2016 was also great. They only made the Sweet 16. <laughs> <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> Poor Sam. Sam just can't resist. Hey, mention another one, Sam. There's got to be another one out there that you, that you love. No, we're, we're we're done. No more uh, talking. I'm over 89. <laughs> 80, 89. That's my senior year, baby. Yes, they yeah. were great. That was a hell of a team. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, we're done. I'm going to mute Sam. I'm muting Sam. I'm muting Donald. We're out of here. I'm Jason. Episode 211 in the books. Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>